This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And I call this message, The Lord's Power Over Evil. And it begins in Luke 8, beginning in verse 26. They sailed to the region. Jesus and his disciples sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house but he lived in the tombs. And so Jesus knew right where he was going and why. And he gets off on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there he is, right there. Jesus sees him. That's it. That's the guy. That's the reason Jesus came. Well, first of all, he knew he was there. He knew all about him. And Luke tells us he was demon-possessed. He also tells us, Luke also tells us, the man was from the local village, Probably at one time he had a home. Luke says he wore no clothes. One time he was in his right mind, probably had a job, and was probably an average citizen. And that's when the demons came. And Luke tells us now he was naked and lived in the cave-like tombs with the dead. He made that his home. Matthew 8.28 says he was so violent that nobody could even pass that way. In Mark's account, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, is probably the most detailed account. It said, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been chained. Just think about this guy, chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough to subdue this guy. Now look at this, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. That's what these demons were doing to this guy. And if that man lived today, in the land of the Gerasenes, I think the media would be all over him real, real quick, and he'd be in a cage in some sideshow, or maybe he'd be at Johns Hopkins University under sedation where they were studying his brain, but he'd be headline news and tabloids. And our Lord Jesus Christ knew the wretched condition of this man, and he had compassion on him, and he went after this man. I mean, this man was, pro, he, he, he was possessed with the tremendous power of evil, and he's in a little village somewhere, and Jesus knew what was going on in his life. Now back to verse 28 of Luke chapter 8. When he saw Jesus, that's the demon in this man, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? 
Now look at this. He says, I beg you, don't torture me. He's begging him. This is good. The demon is begging the Lord. Verse 29. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man, and many times it had seized the man, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he had a reply. Legion, he said, because many demons had gone into this man. And this is what really lights my fire. I look at verse 31 and it says, and they begged him, all the demons in this guy begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. Jesus had commanded the demons out of this guy. They knew his power. And I believe they were begging, don't send us into hell. Not yet. See, these guys knew their end. And the demon who answered Jesus was kind of the spokesdemon for the whole filthy group of them. And they begged him repeatedly not to send them into the abyss, which is kind of a pre-hell. The abyss is a pre-hell. In Revelation chapter 20, and this is right after the Battle of Armageddon where Jesus destroys all the wickedness on earth, all the bad guys, and right before he sets up his 1,000-year kingdom, the Word of God says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him. And these demons are saying, don't throw us into the abyss. Verse 32. Then you got this large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. I mean, who's the Lord here? He's the Lord over all these demons. This is the third time they begged him. They begged him again. I'm looking at this. I go back and I look at this. Demons are always begging Jesus. They have to submit to him. In verse 28, they said, I beg you, don't torture me. In verse 31, they begged him repeatedly not to send him to the abyss. And here in verse 32, they begged him to send him into a herd of pigs. I, I've heard people preach on this text before. And they say the reason that Jesus allowed them to go into the herd of pigs is because these were Jewish pig farmers and pigs and pork were forbidden to Jews. But as I read the commentary, that's not right because the land of the Gerasenes was a Gentile land. And every commentary I read tells me this, that the reason Jesus sent the legion of demon into the pigs is to give this man and the pig herders and the onlookers a visual graphic demonstration of just how much evil was in this guy. I mean, I can't, I mean, you got to put yourself in the scene. I can't even imagine this scene. I mean, how many pigs were there? 300, 400, a legion of demons is a thousand. Were there a thousand? Were there a thousand pigs? I mean, get into this, man. Can you hear him? Can you see him careening down that hill into the sea? All the oinks, all the grunts of pigs magnified how many times over? That is the picture of man. Horrible, horrible, horrible evil. And here's that guy who's in his right mind now. I mean, he's delivered from all this stuff. And what's he saying to himself? He's saying that evil was in me. And whatever happened to the pigs, the demons and the pigs, I don't know. The Bible never tells us. But what do the people seeing this or witnessing this think? I'm looking at verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town folk in the countryside. And then the people, the town folk, came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found this man for whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And I'm thinking to myself, why were they afraid? They should have been rejoicing. 
And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear and then noticed that he got into the boat and left. See, these people didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. And the Bible says they were afraid. And folks, this is not reverential fear. What Jesus Christ had just done is destroyed a big part of their economy. I mean, they had all those pigs and they had buyers for those pigs. And now they couldn't deliver. And their economy was part of their economy. It was going to go down the drain. These town people who came to see this spectacle saw Jesus as someone with supernatural power. They didn't see him as good. They kind of saw him as a threat. They didn't see him as God. They kind of saw him as evil. And they said, please leave us so you don't do any more damage here and destroy our economy. You may stop the rain and destroy our crops or go after the sheep or something like that, see? But they asked him to leave. And folks, he did. If you don't want Jesus in your life, if you reject Jesus Christ, he's gone. And this end of the story has a great message for us too because you look at verse 38. The man from whom... um, The demons had gone out, begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell, listen to this, and tell how much God has done for you, man. There's a message there for us. He wanted to become one of the 12 disciples and follow Jesus wherever he went. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, your witness begins at home. Your witness and my witness begins at home with the family people who don't know Jesus Christ. And how do you do it? How do you get through to them? You tell them the great things that God has done in your life, and you have a story. Now, there's a lot here for our faith in life. 80% of the people who say they're Christian believe that Satan is just a symbol for evil and he doesn't really exist. I read Isaiah 14, where God cast him out of heaven because he wanted to usurp God's authority. It was all pride. People asked this very deep philosophical question, where did evil begin? It began with him when he wanted to usurp God's authority. God cast him out of heaven. And then I read in Revelation 12, 4, that the devil recruited one third of all the created angels to join in his rebellion. And there are angels almost without number. And so Satan has a lot of people on his side to help him carry out his evil. And God allows him to carry out that evil. He allows him certain freedoms. But you got to know the devil is on God's leash. And I'm looking at 2231 of Luke. The word of God says this. Jesus says it to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now he's saying, saying, Simon, Peter, the devil came to me. The devil had to get my permission. Folks, understand that. They begged him in this word of God. Over and over they begged him. Here in the New Testament. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, man. He wants to take you through the ringer. And Jesus said, I said, okay, but I'm going to pray you through this. See, what he does is he allows Satan his day with you, but he controls it. He always controls it. Satan's on God's leash. And he says, I'm going to pray you through this whole deal. Folks, what I'm saying is there's not two equal forces of good and evil. Satan is a created being, and God wants to use Satan to accomplish his purposes you got to know this. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 5, you had this guy in the Corinthian church, this particular man, was creating visible, obvious sin in the Corinthian congregation, and the people in the Corinthian congregation were tolerating it. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, the apostle Paul says, Hand this man over to Satan 
God will turn us over to Satan and he will put the limits on what Satan can do. He says, hand this man over to Satan that the sinful nature in this man may be destroyed and that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And what Satan wanted to do with this guy was to make him so miserable and to drag his life down into the pit. But God turned him over to Satan for another purpose. Look at this. So that his sinful nature may be destroyed. So he's going to stand righteous when the Lord comes again. That's God's purpose. Satan's purpose is so heinous and so evil, he wants to hurt you so bad, but God had a different purpose so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Here's some facts. Satan is primarily a liar. Very subtle, believable lies, but I talk about that so much. I try and expose Satan's lies, and today I just want, him to, I, I just want to know this. I, just want, I want us to know this, that Satan is also very evil. And he wants to hurt us. He wants to make you miserable. And he's active in people's lives. If you're a believer in Christ, he is so active in your life. If you're not a believer, man, he's trying to keep you from being a believer. I mean, he just wants to hurt you in every possible way. He is so evil. When I think of all those pigs rushing into the sea inhabited by demons and that horrible noise that they're making I, I, and, and, and how this guy was so so. All the changes in the sky, like baying at the moon and all that stuff. I think to myself, this Satan is so evil. Another fact, he's a schemer. I look at 2 Corinthians, and I look at chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are unaware of his schemes. Guys, you've got to know this. Demons are plotting. They're always trying to outwit you. I love that word, outwit you. They're scheming. He plots. He plans to bring us down. He plans to rob us of joy. And you know what the bottom line is? You know what he wants to do? He wants to nullify your witness. See, God is all wise, but Satan has very limited wisdom. And yet you got to understand this. God is all wise. Satan has limited wisdom. Satan is a supernatural being. And I am a natural being. And I am no match for the devil. We are not a match for the devil. Now, maybe you were raised in a church background, a Pentecostal type background, that taught you that we can take authority over Satan and that you can rebuke him. And there's lots of folk who do that. Now, I want to tell you, I don't see that in Scripture. But if somebody comes up to me and they grab my hands and they pray with me, and they're saying, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, and I command you, I take authority over you, don't come into this man's life ever again. You're gone. I'll tell you, folks, I'm going to receive that. And, and I am never going to put limits on God, folks. Never put limits on God in what he can do through the prayer of faith of one person. But I do know that Satan is a schemer, and he has supernatural wisdom you and I don't have, and you got to take him seriously, man. He will never possess you if you're a believer, like um, that legion of demons possessed that man in Luke 8. He can't possess you. That will never happen, because every, every true believer is infilled with the Holy Spirit. And as I look at 1 John 4, 4, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he that is outside you in the world, and that's the devil, see. So as a believer in Christ, he can't possess you, but he can attack you and bombard you 
The devil hates you and me. He wants to hurt us. He wants to make us miserable. And God will allow us. You know, God, you know God's going to allow that, folks. He's going to allow that to move us to flee to him. Here's what I see when I see this evil. I'm seeing more and more people go on the internet. Married people, married people on the internet. Meeting people who live somewhere else in this country. Throwing all these romantic words around to people they never met. People they just text. People they just email. That just breaks my heart. I see people leave a marriage for a guy or a woman they never met. And I just heard about this last week. This lady was married 45 years to her husband. Left her husband for some guy in Arizona. You got to know something, folks. That is devil's. Hearts are broken, families destroyed, lives turned upside down, lives shattered. You've got to understand that's nothing but Satan. That's like this guy who was so possessed. There's so much potential for heartbreak and evil in all that internet dating stuff and meeting people. Then there's internet porn and child porn. Man, that's all from Satan. That's all from demons. And I've said this over and over again. Don't you ever let anyone you love stay up late at night. And do the internet. If you have to stay up with them till 5 o'clock in the morning, man, you just stay up and you check that every few minutes and you see what's on that screen. And I mean that, man. That's from hell and Satan hates us, folks. I see this in the Word of God. I see a man who was a good citizen of his village at one time and now he's breaking his chains, baying at the moon like wolfmen, cutting his body, living in caves. That Devils do that to you. They hate us. They hate us. They scheme. There's enough devils to study you, and I believe that. They know you. They're looking where you're vulnerable. They know your vulnerable spot because they study you, and they're looking for your Achilles heel. And they know there's four Ds. You begin with disappointment. You go down to discouragement. You go down to depression. Depression until you're in the basement of despair. And when you're disappointed, they know it, and they're coming after you. And if they can get you at that level of disappointment and take you down to the second D and the third D and the fourth D, they are going to do that. You may be disappointed with your husband or your wife. You may be disappointed with your job. You may be disappointed with other people. And if you don't deal with it there, you go down to the second D, you are discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you don't give it 100%. You don't give your job 100% when you're discouraged. Hey, they owe me something. You're not giving your husband or wife 100% when you're discouraged. You're, not, you're, not, you're just not going to do it, man. Now, if you don't get it there, you're going to go down to the next one, and that's the level of depression. And when you're in that level of depression, you see all those commercials, you need serotonin, you know? You just don't care. And when you don't care, you don't care, you know what you're doing? You don't care, you're blaming everybody else, that's depression. Not my fault, you just don't care about anything, and you're blaming other people, and you've got to understand, man, this is spiritual warfare, there's demonic stuff going on in your life, and you've got to know how to handle that, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. And where the devil wants you, he wants you in that basement of despair where people see life isn't worthwhile, and it has no meaning, it has no purpose, and the problem is to feed your anger. That's your Achilles heel, man. They know that. They study you. That's your vulnerable spot. You've got to know that. They, 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 they're going to feed your anger. They're going to know where you are so weak. You're going to say, I was right, and he or she was wrong, and they owe me an apology, and somebody has to make restitution for the way I was hurt or what I was lost. And so what you're saying is, you're saying to yourself, well, well, 
I'm just going to kind of avoid them until I get that apology. And when you truly forgive a person, you demand no apology. You demand no restitution of what you lost. And I got to tell you, man, if you're avoiding somebody and waiting for them to apologize to you, Satan has you bound and Satan has you hooked. That's right out of hell, folks. Because forgiveness is free and unconditional and you don't demand apologies and you don't demand restitution. You let go of that stuff and let that to God. And now we get to the, to the, the solutions, man. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, For though we, we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, look at this now, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We don't fight like the world or we play into the devil's hands. You know what we don't do? We don't talk louder. We don't fight dirtier. We don't manipulate people. We don't walk out of a marriage. We understand that is playing right into the enemy's hand and we fight differently. On the contrary, it says we have divine power to demolish strongholds, and strongholds are that, that hold that devils hold over us. And the first thing, the first divine weapon is prayer. Folks, I said I'm not convinced that we have authority over Satan, but I have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ because he does have authority over Satan. I see that in this word of God. Now look at the book of Jude. In that little one chapter book of Jude, right before Revelation, you've got, um, you've got the head of the good angels, the archangel Michael. And the Bible says he's debating with the head of all the evil angels, the devil. And they're conflicting over the body of Moses because the devil wants the body of Moses so he can put it up on a pole and display it so people worship this dead hero instead of the Lord, see? And the Bible says the archangel Michael would not rebuke Satan. He wouldn't rebuke him. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He's the one who has the power and authority. We saw that in this word of God. He commanded the evil spirit to leave him. They begged him. And that's all I can do, folks. Man, I have to turn this over to the Lord. And I have to understand the spiritual warfare that's going on inside me and going on around me. And I have to go to the Lord. And I have to say... I come to you, Father, through Jesus Christ. And if this is from Satan, Father, Lord, you've got to deal with this. Man, God's going to hear a prayer like this. You've got to rebuke him. You have all power. What demons want for me is sick and ugly, but your will for me is perfect, and I don't have the strength, and I don't have the wisdom. I don't have anything to fight this, but you have all power. You have all wisdom, and I'm yours by faith in Jesus Christ. Help me, please. And now, now what you're doing, man, is you are fighting supernatural forces with supernatural power. Now you're getting on the winner's side. That's how you got to fight this whole deal. Here's the next way you fight with divine power. You use the word of God. You immerse yourself in it, folks. You got to know that word of God. You know it. You study it. I mean, goodness, back in Luke 4. Back in Luke 4, the, the devil comes to Jesus. How did he fight him? I mean, Jesus had to learn the word of God. He internalized the word of God and Satan's to change these stones into bread. The Father had commanded a fast for 40 days. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He just gave, he gave, he gave the word right back to Satan. He says, jump off the pinnacle in the temple to see if your father loves you. See if he'll send out angels. And the Lord said from Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord to the test. He says, okay, fall down and worship me. 
And the Lord said from Deuteronomy 6, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See there, there, there's, he had internalized this word of God. Boy, in the word of God, there's, listen, man, you're in some, you're entangled in some sin. You think of the word of God and you just speak that. You just speak that out. Here's the one I use the most. Romans 12, 17. Don't repay evil for evil. <laughs> you don't give back what some folk do to you. Don't repay evil for evil. See, that's God's word, the Holy Spirit's in that. God did not give us a timid spirit, but he gave me a spirit of power, I'm quoting. Now, I say to myself, wait a minute, who, who, who's in charge here? I got a spirit of power. I got a spirit of love. If I have a hard time loving a difficult person, wait a minute. He gave me a spirit to love those people and a spirit of self-discipline to bring about restraint. Those are just two, but the devil's going for your Achilles heel. You got to use his word. And through that word, the spirit works in you. God's perfect will. And you know what you tell yourself? You know what you tell yourself? You say, this is what the devil wants. This is what God wants. And I'm not doing what the devil wants. And we use God's people, the body of Christ. You may not give them all the details, but man, I want to tell you. I want to tell you what lifts God's heart, what lights God's fire in a sense. When you go to people and you say, I'm going through a situation in my life, and I would ask you, please, to hold me up before the Lord. Because the Father in heaven hears that. He sees that. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, my child is trusting solely in me, and he's asking people to pray for him. And I read it in a devotion I read this morning. Man, when you trust God, when you put your trust in God alone, he will pick that up and he cherishes that. It all goes back to 2 Corinthians 3. We don't, we, we, you know, we live in the world, but we don't fight like the world does. The weapons we fight with are, are not the weapons of the world. We have divine power to bring down strongholds, okay? Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.